Hey, welcome to the Equippers Church Richmond podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying this weather. You know, I don't think about any reasons for the good weather. I'm just enjoying it because also in the north of Germany where I come from, like we usually joke about how, wow, that one Wednesday was a great summer we had last year. And <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I live close to the Baltic Sea, so I go swimming every morning and I'm just really enjoying this weather and it can last a bit longer for my sake. <laughs> hey, I, you know, we've heard a some great reasons already why you should book your ticket for Shout. But I just want to share personally, last year, um, I came with my whole family to Shout. You know, when, when Pastor Sam and Pastor Mark announced the dates, we talked about it as pastors, and I was whining a bit like, but it's in a summer holiday. And Pastor Sam just said, hey, you just got to, you know, take your family and make it a family thing, okay? So I thought, hey, we want to do this every year, so I better get started right away. So I brought all my kids. I got three daughters um, who are aged from 11, 8, and 6, uh, or almost 6. And so I was excited, me and my wife, she's also a pastor in Flensburg. And we're really excited for this conference happening here in London because X Conference has been so instrumental into in shaping our church as well. We we would bring everywhere, we bring everybody. Uh, we could kind of get all the leaders to X Conference just to see it, to get a vision, to get a shared experience. So we're excited for something even bigger, something with an even stronger equipment expression. But to be honest, when I arrived last summer, I was completely exhausted. We had just sold a building in Flensburg. We had to, re and that was kind of a very limited offer, so we had said yes to it, but we didn't have a building. It's, uh, so Sundays were in a cinema, that's all sorted. But, but it was all the midweek stuff, offices. So we had to find a building real quick. And the, the old building, the church I'm leading, they had that building for 45 years or something. So it was full of trash. <laughs> Well-meaning church trash, you know. Somebody had some books. I think the church would like them because I don't have the heart to throw them out. Um, so the whole building, and, and it was just a lot of work. Everything went well, but I arrived at Shout Conference last year, and I thought, this is the last thing I want to do right now. Because when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, I want to be by myself. <laughs> I don't want to be with a thousand and one other people. And, and, you know, half of them know me well, so you are, you know, you, you're still a pastor in that environment. And I just realized that, and I tried to fight it, but... On the first morning, I was, my mood was all the way down. My, tr my wife tried to cheer me up, but I didn't want to be cheered up. I wanted to be grumpy and angry and annoyed. And, so, and, and then the kids weren't really, you know, my younger ones, the older one, she was just gone with the teenagers, which was great. But the younger ones, so we need to take some time and be with them at the kids' sessions and all that. And then, so my wife and I, we kind of shared that, and I was supposed to be at the evening session with Pastor Russell, and honestly, I wasn't in the mood, you know, still smiling like we do on Sunday or conferences, hallelujah. And, and, and so was, and then what happens, and that was, that was totally a God thing, is I got sent away from my seat three times, 
And it's a bit of a thing that I know about. Like when I, I had a season in a school when we moved as a family where I was bullied. So kind of this, you have this internal feeling of I don't belong. So stuff like that kind of just triggers you a little bit, even though now you're a mature adult and you know about it and God has healed things. But especially when you're tired, you know, it kind of gets to you. So first time I sat in some place that was reserved for a guest speaker. I can't remember what it was. Second time, something else. And then finally I found a seat. But in front of my seat, the whole row was empty. And just before the service starts, before the meeting starts, all of the teenagers come in and just sit right in front of us. And who's right in front of me? It's my oldest daughter. Turning around saying, oh no, dad, what are you doing here? And so I think, oh, man, I want to give her space because, man, it's, you know, when you're a parent, make sure you bring your kids because in those environments, you know, faith is built, lives are shaped and changed. So again, I move away, this time voluntarily, but still, you know, not happy about it. And I sit all the way in the back. Like I sit there and think, I don't want to be here. Nobody would see you if you would go out, you know, to your hotel room, put on the telly or whatever, fall asleep. So the, the whole message, I can't remember what it was about. I'm sitting there kind of internally wrestling, should I stay? Or, and then I think at one point I feel like, man, I don't want to allow the enemy to rob me of what God has prepared for me in this place. Because those environments are powerful environments. And I just knew I had to make a decision now. So I just, and that was all, all mind. There's no feeling behind it. I just decided, you know, when there's going to be an altar call, any ministry time, I'm just going to go up to the front and just going to be there just to show myself, hey, God, I'm here. <laughs> So, Russell, I can't remember what he spoke about. It was probably brilliant and funny. So, but there's an altar call ministry, and I walk up to the front, and I stand there. I feel nothing, literally nothing. It's just pure willpower. And I say, Jesus, I'm here. I've got nothing. That was all for the first night. And the next three days were so powerful. They were so amazing. God spoke to me. God's presence was there. I could pray for people. And... and I, I came back from that conference completely refreshed. I felt like I had two weeks holidays. And, and not, just, not just my mind was refreshed, but my whole body was refreshed. And I thought, wow, all it took was that decision to say, I'm not allowing the enemy to rob me of the blessing God has prepared for that. And, you know, that might be your situation right now. You know... You know, there, there are good reasons. Honestly, there are really good reasons. I had great reasons, you know, to run away from that moment. Maybe you have good reasons why it's difficult to be there, but don't allow the enemy to rob you of the blessing that God has prepared for you right there. Okay, so um, let's get started. Hey, I'm so excited. It's my second time here. Um, last time was 2021. That was, remember my first international trip during the COVID years. I was so excited finally getting out of that uh, country, being here. And we were, I think, the only international guests at the X conference 2021. And then the Sunday I was here, and I think you've, you just moved into this space. So I'm really happy to be back here and to be sharing with you this morning. Hey, and um, I want to talk about hope this morning. Because we live in a season where hope is under attack. 
where it is so easy to lose hope, where it seems sensible, where it almost seems to be like the right thing, not having hope for the future. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, so hope is a, a crucial component of faith. And without faith, we can do nothing. I love that story in Matthew 8 where Jesus is on his way back to Capernaum and this Roman officer comes to him. We read about it in Matthew 8 and says, hey, my servant is dying. Can you come or can you help him? And Jesus says, yeah, I can come to your place. But the officer says, no, you don't need to come. Um, I believe you have the authority. If you just say a word, my ser servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this read, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. So we need hope in order to have faith. We need faith. Without faith, we cannot do anything. In Matthew 21, Jesus says, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, something happening before that scene, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's amazing. But if you lose hope, you won't be able to receive a vision that creates faith within you. So, kind of my, my statement for my message this morning, sorry when the German accent slips out, I'm trying my best, pray for me. Um, so, you know, my statement this morning is, if you build up hope, faith will follow. If you build up hope, and I believe hope is actually my responsibility, faith will follow. Pastor Michael Maiden recently said something that really hit home for me. He said, we are not supposed to be experts in what the enemy is doing, but experts in what God is doing. Man, and I'm, I'm you know, anyone here on Twitter, I, I'm... I, I love information. I've, I've been to Ukraine last year, so I follow a lot of the things that are going on there. And it's so easy becoming experts in all of the bad things that are going on. And before you realize it, it shapes the way you think. It shapes you emotionally, shapes your outlook on life. And you start to lose hope. So we need to make a decision not to be experts in what the enemy is doing, but be, to become experts in what God is doing. We serve a God of hope. We serve a God of future. In Jeremiah 29 verse 11, he says to a nation that has lost everything and it's their own fault. And he tells them, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Hope and a future. When God introduces himself to Moses in the desert... 
in Exodus 3, he says, my name is Yahweh, which is often translated as I am who I am. But recently I spoke to a friend of mine who's quite an expert in Hebrew, in Old Testament Hebrew, and said, actually, the better translation would be, I will be who I will be. In the name that God uses to introduce himself, there's this notion that he is the God of the future. And the way we access future is either by hope or by fear. Because we're not there yet. We can only, you know, on the inside have a picture, a vision of the future that's either shaped by hope or by fear. So when we build up hope, I believe faith will follow. And when I say hope, I don't mean unfounded optimism. I'm a pretty optimistic person. But sometimes optimism, which is a component of hope, I, I truly believe so. But if it's only that, it can easily become something where you don't look at the reality of things. And actually faith means looking the challenges right in the eye and saying, hey, I've got a greater hope inside of me. I've got a greater God that I'm serving that whatever is facing me right now. And I'm looking straight at it. I'm not denying it. But I, I decide to put my trust in a different hope. You can develop hope. Um, in Romans 5, verses 1 to 5, just want to read this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into, the, into this grace in which we now stand. And now it comes. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us, put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We are in Flensburg at an exciting point right now in our journey. So the, the COVID years have been a challenge. I think it's been everywhere. But kind of at the beginning of the year, I realized, hey, we are probably out of that season. And we can really work and build towards the vision that we carry. And our, our services are great. We, we are between 300, 350 people on a Sunday morning. It's a great dynamic there. Lots of kids, decisions every Sunday. Um, so I'm super grateful for that. It's, you know... You know, when you pray for more, God gives you more, more of everything. So it's not without challenges, but there's more good in it. And, and, and since quite a while, the Equipus Church is in Germany. So there's one in Berlin, one in Mainz, um, with several locations. There's one in Copeland's, and there's us in, in Flensburg. And they, We've for a long time talked about as a movement to become part of the, I think you call it AOG in Britain. And it's, it's the biggest free church movement. And they've been really asking us to come and join. And especially in the north of Germany, it's where they are really weak. weak and the, the leader of the movement said, hey, Simon, uh, we'd love you to come and help us develop churches like what you are doing as equippers. You know? And they were really open and inviting us in. But... I wasn't too excited at first because I hate church politics. I've been, you know, our church has been through quite a bit of church politics that, you know, caused a lot of pain. 
and we're at such a good place right now. We're part of a brilliant movement, worldwide movement. We are, we are part of an apostolic company, but there's, you know, we're not part of some structural movement where you, know, you have to follow rules and Germans love rules and all that. Um, I'm not very German in that sense. Um, but me and my wife, we prayed about it. I talked with Pastor Peter about it said, hey, what do you think? And he gave some great advice. And, it, and I really felt God challenging us to say, hey, this is something I'm doing. You know, step up to it. I want to use your church to bless a whole region. So we said yes to it. But I said, God, if, if you have actually called me into a role like this, into carrying influence like this, taking a leadership role in a whole region, you know, I, I actually want to see you uh, build churches through me. Because it's not something I can do. Either you do it through me or it's not going to happen. So we just, for a long time, God has been speaking about a, a city in our region with about 300,000 people living there to start a church there. And we started in March. And it's, it's really exciting. So right now we're there every Wednesday. And it's, it's old school. I pack the car. I pick up the people. We drive there. It's about an hour's drive. And before we start with the meeting, we, you know, we, we're out on the street. We're talking to people, inviting them, praying for people. And I love it. It's brilliant. And I for, I've forgotten how much fun that is, actually being out on the street and talking to, to about people. And people are hungry. Of course, you'll have some that will say, oh, I don't care about it. Go away. And, you know, and of course, you have to be a bit smart about it. What we do is we have like drinks and we say, hey, can I give this to you? And they're like, yeah. And I said, and, and you give me one minute of your time. Yeah, okay, that's a good deal. And then I say, hey, I'm a pastor and we're starting a church here. And what, what kind of church would you like, like to go to? What, what would a church need for you to attend or check it out? And then we're already talking and you'd be surprised how hungry people are. And the cool thing is, in Germany, um, uh, people often say, hey, actually, I like church. I've been to church as a kid. And for them, church is state church, very traditional. And then they, they are like, yeah, but it's actually, I find it boring. And then I'm like, yeah, let me tell you about the way we do church. And I show them YouTube videos and, and with some, some great um, situations with people on the street. And it's been growing. So there's maybe 20, 30 people on a Wednesday night. We're planning to move to the Sunday afternoon soon. And, but I tell you what, standing in this room, and there's 20 people and lots of non-Christians come. It's quite amazing. And they stay because they sense there's something here. And I'm, I'm giving a word and we pray for people. In my heart, I already see a big church there. In my heart, I can already see what God is wanting to do. And, I'm, and that's the hope that I carry. That's what energizes me. That's what you know, gives me the energy to inspire the people that are there. And people start to see it, to sense it. But I need to be daring to have a greater hope. And, what's that, and that's that what's beyond what I see right now. And, and I know for sure that there's a church waiting to be birthed in that town. But it takes people who dare to hope. And allow God to build up faith in them. All right. Real quick, three things I think you need to develop a strong hope in your life. And the first one, when we read this passage in Romans 5, um, it's all in plural. 
It's we have been justified. We have peace with God through whom we have gained access because God's love has been poured out into our hearts and the Holy Spirit that has given, been given to us. So my first point this morning is very simple. Be part of a community of hope. The community you do life with has the greatest influence of your, onto your sense of hope, onto the way you approach life. You know, and ask yourself, am I surrounded by people that are hopeful? Is there a hopeful sound in the people that I spend most of my life with? Even the most hopeful person will become depressed if, it, if you just spend time with people that are negative all the time. And people feel so secure in being negative. I don't know how it is here in, in Britain, but in Germany, when you meet someone new and it's a bit of an awkward kind of situation and you want to take the awkwardness out of it, the easiest way to connect is to complain about something together. Yeah. About the weather about football, and oh man, oh man, our national team sucks right now. It's all, so that's so easy. And, and you're right there, negativity, negativity. Because, you know, you feel insecure in a moment like this. And it, you know, putting something else or someone else down gives you the feeling of, hey, my worth is rising, and it's easier to connect with people. But it builds nothing. It tears down. So you need people, you need more people around you that are hopeful, If you want to stay encouraged and actually minister to a world that is longing for God. Other people speaking into your life carrying a sound of hope. And sometimes we need to start to actually listen to the sound around us. And make a decision in what space do I want to be. Okay. Um, there's a difference with people who carry hope. People with hope are people who have goals in life. You know, it sounds super simple, but it's actually much more than that. Hey, to the, to the singles or people who are not married yet, don't marry someone that has no goals in their life. It's, it tells you so much about the hope somebody is carrying. You know? And also don't marry someone that has stupid goals in life. You know, just recently, um, my oldest daughter, who's 11, almost 12, um, this boy from her class came to us, and I could tell he kind of liked her, um, and she was utterly disinterested. Like, she didn't care about it, but he was all excited. And so, and, and you know, I talked to him to get to know him a little bit, and I said, so, hey, so what are your plans in life? Do you want to know what you want to do when you're... When you're After school and all that. And, and he was like, yeah, 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 I totally do. I said, yeah, cool, let's hear it. He said, hey, I want to become a DJ, he said. Like, <laughs> I want to be a massive DJ, you know. And, and my plan is to get, like, snakes and have them on my shoulders <laughs> while I do my DJ set. And it's going to be amazing. I want explosions. And I thought, man, get, get away from my daughter. <laughs> I mean, he's 12. But those are stupid goals, you know. <laughs> so people with hope are people who have goals in life. Because they actually live with a sense of hope for their future. People with hope are big picture people that carry a sense of greatness. If you live with hope, you are able to step 
uh, back and look at the big picture because your, your, your vision is further than just what's happening immediately right around you. So, and that's why people with hope are inspiring to be around. Tom picked me up, Pastor Tom picked me up yesterday from the airport and we had dinner and, and I loved the time spending with someone like him just talking about what's going on, what is challenging you, what are you, what's your vision right now? And you come back from those conversations and you're energized and you carry a little bit more hope than you had before. And that makes everything easier. So spend time who actually carry hope and have developed a mature sense of hope in their life. Okay, so my first point, be part of a community of hope. You're not supposed to do this alone. The second point I want to make, I've called that lift up your eyes. In Psalm 121, we read, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The, the Hebrews, the Jews, actually have this concept that can basically translate to you become what you behold. Whatever I spend time looking at, that shapes who I am. So the, the challenge here is lift up your eyes to the mountains, to the one where actually help can come from, the maker of heaven and earth. And um, you can, it's so easy to roll your eyes constantly at the state of things, but it takes a decision to lift up your eyes and look at God. That's why we praise. You know, praise is one of the most important things you can learn, especially in the season we're in right now. Praise is a decision. I lift up my eyes and I look to the one who actually can make a difference in the situation. You know, I look away from myself. I look away from what's going on. I lift my eyes up to God. And I'm, allow I'm allowing this to shape who I am. To shape my thinking, to shape my, uh, my feelings. And say, hey, I want to pray. So I, we really have to challenge the church in Flensburg right now to step up and praise. Because we've got so many new people who don't understand praise. And then you're in a cinema setting. People sit down in those comfy chairs, you know, and they look to the band or whatever's happening. And, we, and we're constantly saying the same thing. Come on, come to the front. You know, take a physical step of obedience. Come to the front and praise God. And people who do that always come back with a testimony and say, hey, I've experienced breakthrough this morning. And the reason why we do praise on a Sunday morning is so that you understand the power that praise carries and take it with you into your Monday morning where you actually need to make a decision to lift up your eyes and look at the Lord. So second point is lift up your eyes. And my third point, and that's probably the most important one I want to share with you this morning. And I've called that one, get to know God's hope for you. When we go back to Romans 5, we read, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not, does not put us to shame. And now it comes, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in order for you to persevere and develop character and develop hope that leads to faith, you need to have God's love poured out into you. That's the only way it happens. This is not an exercise of willpower. I need to be so hopeful. 
No, you need to experience God's love to actually have a foundation that your hope can live on. And to illustrate that, I want to tell you a story from the Old Testament that until recently has been one of my most hated stories in the Old Testament. Since several years now, every year, I read through the Bible in the beginning of the year. I tried to do it in 30 days. I did it once as a challenge, and I found it so edifying because you get a whole different big picture of the story of God, of the story of the Bible. But this particular story, I always thought, man, I can't believe it, and then I would read through it. And of course, it would always end the same way. Didn't change, and I would be angry again. But let me real quick tell you about it. So I'm going to read from 2 Samuel um, 19. And that says, Joab was told, and he's an advisor, military leader in King David's army. Joab was told, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. Because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. The men stole into the city that day as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and cried aloud, my son Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. I hated this passage so much. And you might understand why when I tell you the context of the story. Read up about it. We find in the second Samuel chapters 13 to 19. But Tom said I wasn't allowed to read all of them here this morning. So. <laughs> no, but so... David is king in all of Israel. His reign has been securely established. Jerusalem is the capital of a growing kingdom. God has given David a lot of success. And in that time, having a lot of success meant I need to have lots of wives. Um, so David has lots of wives. It pales in comparison to his son later, Solomon. Um, so he has lots of sons and daughters who are all, all half-siblings. And that family is really messed up. It's very dysfunctional. So what happens? There's one son of David um, who becomes obsessed. His name is Amnon with his half-sister, Tamar, who is the sister of Absalom. We heard about him right now. But she rejects his advances. And he goes crazy about her. And then creates a fake scenario and takes advantage of her. You know, and it, it's, it's really messed up. And Absalom, he gets so angry because of what happened to his sister, understandable, takes revenge and kills Amnon. And they are brothers, I mean half-brothers. They are both brothers of the king and is sent into exile never to return to Jerusalem. David is, is very sad about all of it. He's depressed about it. He's depressed about what has happened to his children, but he's also depressed because he loved Absalom. And we read about Absalom that he was tall and handsome and he had beautiful long hair. You need to remember that. That becomes important to the story a bit later. So after two years in exile, somebody you know, creates another fake scenario and convinces David to show mercy to Absalom and allow him to come back into Jerusalem. 
So Absalom comes back into Jerusalem and he's such a great guy because he immediately starts to conspire against David to overthrow the king, his father. So for two years, he manipulates the whole of Israel. He steals the heart of the Israelites from David, the king, and builds up uh, an army, builds up um, a whole group of people to overthrow the king. And at one point, he gets together this army and starts a rebellion against David which is already pretty bad, okay, to the man who showed you mercy. So David and his men have to flee Jerusalem. And only 10 of David's wives or concubines stay back in the palace. Absalom marches into Jerusalem and then he thinks about how can I show all of Israel that, you know, it's never going to be um, David and I, we're never going to be friends again, that it's forever broken, that, that you... The whole nation needs to decide, do we follow Absalom or do we follow David? There won't be no in-between. And one of his dad's former advisors says, well, how about we put a tent on the palace for everyone to see and then we bring the ten wives of your father there and you go into them. And he says, yes, what a great idea. So they do that. He rapes the wives of David, public for the whole nation to see, um, and, and David had to flee with his men. I don't like Absalom. He's a prime great jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and to make a long story short, at one point it comes down to a battle between David's men and the troops of Absalom. And it's, it's a long battle. But David's men, the heroes of David, they fight bravely and defeat the army of Absalom and the whole thing gets a total Hollywood ending so the the army of Absalom is thoroughly beaten and he tries to escape on a donkey and he escapes through a thick forest and David's men chase after him his three most valiant and strong fighters chase after Absalom and he tries to gallop away on his donkey and rides through a thick forest and at one point his hair gets stuck into the branches of a tree. The donkey continues riding and he hangs helplessly um, with his hair attached to the branches and then Joab, the leader of David's army, comes and finishes Absalom, which is kind of a joyous moment in the story, at least for me when I read it. Yes, finally, finally, this evil person, you know, got what he had coming for him. But then the whole thing ended with what I just read to you. The king was weeping and mourning for Absalom. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son. And I hated that bit. Every year I thought, oh, man, I should skip over it because it makes me so angry. Why do you mourn for that monster, David? You know, for me, that almost felt like, what a weak character. You know, this, that's the, one of the worst imaginable persons. He, he abused the kindness shown to him. And he, he's just an evil person. You mourn for him. And this year, again, I was reading this. And I, you know, got angry again. And I was just praying. And suddenly, I felt like the Holy Spirit touched me. And I realized Actually, I am Absalom. We are Absalom. The story is here 
And later we read, David is a man after God's own heart. David never, until the moments when he heard about the death of Absalom, gave up hope that something good could come out of this situation. He never stopped calling in his son, despite everything he did. You know, and it's not about to say what he did was right in any way. This is more about the heart of the king towards his son. This is more about the heart God has for us. And to realize, hey, I, I didn't deserve that God gives his only son for me. I might not be as worse as Absalom, but there are others that are better than me. I have nothing to show for. You know, like, like we read, we all fell short of the glory of God. But God still decides, God never lost hope for you. God never loses hope for you. And I realized this story is about the way God thinks about me. You know, I think this is what church should be about. Church should be a community of hope where we enter the presence of a God who has more hope for us than anybody else. Where we find a sense of belonging, a sense of future, even though we might have made really bad decisions in our lives and feel like, I deserve this. But God still has hope for you. God still carries hope and future, plans of hope, plans of future for you right now. His love is greater than you are able to comprehend. Just think about it. You know, I just shared a few of the things that Absalom did. But the king still mourned for him. Because he never lost hope. It's the same for you this morning. Even though your hope might be very little right now, God's hope is greater for you than you can comprehend. His hope for you is beyond our understanding. And it's time to lift up your eyes again. It's time to allow the hope that God has to actually touch our hope, touch our lives, and start to root our identity and the hope that God has for you. I believe that an identity, the identity that is rooted in God's hope will always respond in faith. Whatever happens, you will respond in faith because there's a greater hope inside of you. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us and I, I just want to take a short moment and maybe we can stand for a moment I really felt like I should speak on hope this morning and that there are people here who until now haven't realized that you've lost your hope or that your hope has become very little and I, I'm just here to tell you hey God hasn't lost hope for you God is here to restore your hope. God is here to restore your hope for your family. God is here to restore the hope for your life, for your marriage. God is here to restore the hope for your children that might be on a very different road right now. 
God is here to restore the hope you have lost for your community, maybe for your nation, maybe for the state of the world. And you have allowed that to influence your life and it's brought you down to a place where you now live, but where you're not, where you're not supposed to live. And God is calling you to come back up. He says, lift up your eyes. He wants to fill you with hope. He wants to fill you with love. And he wants to bring something alive on your insides. Where even though what you see on the outside is not yet what you're dreaming of, but inside that dream is already alive and powerful and it carries you. You know, and you're not supposed to just have hope for yourself. How do we have a community of hope? It's when a group of people is full of people that are carrying hope. Where we bring the little hope that we have together and something greater comes out of it. And hey, maybe if you just want to close your eyes for a moment, and if I just want to see who I'm praying for right now, if you're here and say, hey, I, I need hope right now, can you just lift your, arm, your hand real quick so I can see who I'm praying for? Thank you. Thank you. Lord, in this morning, I'm praying for everyone that has raised their hands and is standing here and saying, God, I've lost hope. I need new And God, you see every area in their life where they've lost hope, where things have become a struggle, where the picture has become very dark. Lord, and I'm praying for a release of new hope this morning. Lord, we come against any, any thoughts the enemy has planted into minds that has robbed them of the hope that you've given them. Lord, and I pray that they realize the love that you have for them. And that no matter what they've been through, no matter the decision they've made, that your hope always is greater. And it, I just feel that God says to some of you this morning, hopelessness is not your home. Where you live right now is not the place I've made for you. And you don't deserve this. You might think, I deserve this. <laughs> But you don't deserve this. Because you don't deserve any of this. You don't deserve his love, but he's giving it to you. And he wants to give more of it to, do, to you this day. And maybe you're here you sense that you need a different hope in your life and you've never made that decision to lift up your eyes and start believing in the maker of heaven and earth and to the one that has given his son to die on a cross on our behalf so it's possible to have a relationship with the Lord, with the God, with the creator of heaven and earth. And the Bible tells us it starts with an act of faith. And we have faith, I hope you understand that now there's hope for a future and if there's hope right now I just want to pray together with you and maybe you want to do that with me together for the first time so I'm just going to pray and you just speak after me may you, you're doing it for the first time or for the hundredth time but if there's hope in you let's just pray together maybe you can put, place your hand on your heart and pray after me Heavenly Father I come to you with a heart full of gratitude and hope. I acknowledge my need for your saving grace. 
and the hope that only you can provide. I believe in your love and surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and ask for your forgiveness. I trust in you. I invite your Holy Spirit to guide me and to pour your love into my life. I embrace your hope, knowing it strengthens me, comforts me, and assures me. I place my hope in your promise, knowing you are faithful. Thank you for the gift of salvation and the hope I find in you. Help me grow in faith and share your hope with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and listening to today's message. If you like what you heard, why not subscribe or share with a friend or family member? To find out more about Equippers Church, head to equippers.co.uk.